Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the angel of the Lord as we pick up in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 14. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. And so the angel of the Lord went throughout the land of Israel, beginning to slay the men. And 70,000 of them fell by the pestilence in the three days. And the angel of the Lord came to Jerusalem to destroy it. And David saw the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword. Now, this must have been really something for David. He saw it there in the sky, the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword. It must must have been a, a very frightening experience, to say the least. And David lifted up his voice, and he cried unto the Lord, the angel of the Lord, who was standing there between the heaven and the earth having the sword that was drawn, stretched out over Jerusalem. And David said, hey, you know, I'm the one that sinned, not these innocent people. Don't destroy them. And so we find that David sent unto God, verse 17, declared, is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done this evil indeed. But for these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be upon me and my father's house, but not on thy people that they should be plagued. Now, I think that probably one of the hardest things concerning sin is to see the effect that sin has on innocent people. My sins. To see the hurt that it brings to innocent people is always very hard. And no man lives unto himself. I've had a lot of people say, well, I may be doing wrong, but I'm only hurting myself. That's not true. No man lives to himself. Others are always affected by what you do, and sometimes in a very great way. And David was seeing the consequence of his sin, the damage that it was doing to these sheep. And he said, Lord, bring it on me. Let me suffer for my own sins. Not these innocent ones. But unfortunately, there are always those innocent sufferers for our wrongdoings, as well as, of course, our own suffering many times. So then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord 
there in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, because David saw the angel standing above the area there of, of Mount Moriah, where a Jebusite had a threshing floor and a field. And, and so the Lord commanded that David should build an altar there and offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. So David came to Ornan, the Jebusite, and he said, I want to buy this threshing floor, this field, in order that I might offer to the Lord a sacrifice in this place. And Ornan said, hey, you can have it. And take my cattle and use them for the sacrifices and, you know, use the plows for the wood and so forth. And go ahead, you can have it. And David said, no, I will not give unto the Lord that which cost me nothing. Because it isn't a true sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something. God really doesn't want our cast-offs. How many times people give to the Lord that which cost them nothing. But as we said this morning, the measurement by which God measures our gifts to him are never in the monetary value of the gift, but in the cost of the gift. What did it cost you to give to God? Because, you see, you may give God a million dollars, but it'd be totally meaningless if, if you, say, have uh, two million in your bank account because you can get it by very well on one million dollars. Whereas someone else, if they give God a dollar, that could mean, uh, you know, their bread for this week. That they are going to have to go without food this week, a certain part of their food, because they gave that dollar to God. Thus, because the dollar really cost them, in God's measurement, the gift of a dollar is greater than the gift of a million dollars. Because the amount is irrelevant as far as God is concerned, because He really doesn't need our money. But it's the cost. The cost of the gift demonstrates the real value because it demonstrates the depth of my love and my consecration unto God. So David bought this field. Now, it says for 600 uh, shekels, and David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. Now again, the Bible critics have found another error in the Bible. Because in Samuel, where this same incident is recorded, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, it says that David gave him 50 shekels of gold. And now here it says 600 shekels of gold. And thus the Bible contradicts itself, and thus the Bible could not be the Word of God if it contradicts itself, and thus there is no reason to believe the Bible and so forth. And this is one of the supposed contradictions that those who are looking for problems in the Bible always find. But as I said, 
these contradictions usually have a very simple explanation, and the study of the Hebrew text will help you in the explanation of this particular problem because in the Hebrew, we are told the Hebrew word used where he bought the, the threshing floor is, is one word in Hebrew. Here the word is magnum, which means the whole area around. He bought the whole field. Now he paid 50 shekels of gold for the threshing floor, and then he gave him 600 shekels for the whole field that was around the place because he bought the whole thing because he decided that he was going to build a temple for God here. So there's really no contradiction at all. He made two separate purchases, one of the threshing floor and then one of the place. And the word place being the Hebrew word magom, he bought the whole place for 600 shekels of gold and 50 shekels of gold for the threshing floor. Another contradiction dissolves and the Bible still stands. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and so David, when he saw that here the place God received his sacrifice and all, that David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And so David commanded that they gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to start carving rocks to build the house of God. He prepared iron in abundance for the nails and for the doors and the gates, the joinings, the brass in abundance without weight, also cedar trees in abundance. And he said... Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical of fame. And the glory throughout all countries, I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Now, God said to David, David, you can't build a house for me because you're a man of war. But God didn't say, David, you can't prepare to build a house. So David did what, you know, he can't build a house, but he sure prepared. Before his death, he amassed the great amounts of iron and brass and gold and silver, cedars. Set the men to work in cutting the stones, drew the plan for the building of the temple. The actual work was to be wrought by Solomon, his son. But it was to be built here in the area of Mount Moriah where they saw the angel standing with a drawn sword over Jerusalem. The place of the building of the temple is declared to be Mount Moriah in Second Chronicles, as we are told. And so Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah in the parcel of ground that David had purchased from Mornan. And Mount Moriah is remembered by us because it was at Mount Moriah 
that Abraham brought Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And so it was significant that God led Abraham to a mountain that he would show him, he said, and it happened to be Mount Moriah, three days' journey from Hebron, uh, and, uh, or the area of Beersheba, uh, where Abraham was at the time that God commanded him to offer his son. And Mount Moriah became the place of sacrifices where the nation of Israel then offered their sacrifices unto God. David said, this is the house of the Lord. This is a place for the altar of God. And it was there on Mount Moriah. Now it is at the top of Mount Moriah for the place of the temple was actually on the side, not on the top of the mountain. Three blocks, perhaps, from the top of the mount. It was on the top of Mount Moriah, the area of Golgotha, or Calvary. So the place of the altar of God, the place of sacrifices, and there is, of course, where Jesus Christ was sacrificed for our sins at the top of Mount Moriah. And so this particular place, David purchased, and uh, there they built the temple unto the Lord. Now as we get into chapter 22, he then called for Solomon, his son. He had gathered together the men of Israel, and he called Solomon his son, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, verse 7, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and you have made great wars, and thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, whom shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all of the enemies round about. And for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days, and he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And now my son... The Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God as he has said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then shalt thou prosper, if you take heed to fulfill the statutes and the judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel, be strong, be of good courage, dread not, nor be dismayed. Now, David had his admirable points, but David also had his weak points, and David, for the most part, was a poor father. And as a result of the fact that he was a poor father, he had problems with his children. Now Solomon, in observing this and later writing the Proverbs, had many things to say about correcting children. That's one thing that David was very 
lacks in. And that was the correction of his sons. One of his sons that rebelled against him and it said, and David never at any time said anything to correct the son. Never even challenged him. Why have you, did you do this? And he, he never challenged. He just let the kid go. And he, and he ended up rebelling against his dad. So Solomon, in observing David as, as a poor disciplinarian and seeing the result of David's laxity in this particular area, speaks about if you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. The foolishness of the world is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of instruction driveth it far from him. A child left to himself will bring a reproach unto his mother. And so Solomon had a lot of things to say concerning the discipline of children because he saw where David lacked in the discipline, but where David for the most part was a poor father in his failure in the disciplining of his sons. Yet, in this particular case, David shines. As he is now instructing his son Solomon in the ways of the Lord. Now, David did not take enough time with his children. But now, in his old age, as he has got to turn the reins of the government over to his son, and this tremendous task of building this temple unto the Lord, he he gives to Solomon the best advice that any father could ever pass on to his son. Marvelous advice. And David encouraged Solomon to seek wisdom and understanding. And I think that it is significant that when Solomon began his reign, and God said to Solomon, What do you want me to give to you? No doubt remembering the advice of his father David, Seek wisdom and understanding. Solomon said, Grant unto thy servant that I might have wisdom and understanding that I might be able to rule over this thy great people. That's exactly what David told Solomon to seek. And when Solomon prayed unto the Lord and desired that he might receive the wisdom and understanding, God was pleased with the request of Solomon and said, I, because you did not ask for fame or riches, but for wisdom and understanding, I will not only give you what you asked, but I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you great wealth and fame and so forth so that your fame will spread throughout all the world. So Solomon was no doubt remembering these sagacious words of his father to seek wisdom and understanding. And then David said, and walk in the statutes and the judgments and the commandments of the Lord in order that you may be prosperous. Now, in the first psalm, David links prosperity with the keeping of the law of God. And many places in the scriptures, these things are, are linked together. When Moses turned over the reins to Joshua, 
He commanded him to meditate into the, into the law and into the commandments. And thus shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and thus shalt thou have good success. Now David is again linking a prosperous reign to obedience to the law, the statutes, the judgments, the commandments of God. In other words, the law is God's rules for a happy, prosperous life. You see, there are spiritual rules that govern in the universe or spiritual laws, even as there are physical laws that govern in the universe in which we live. Now, we are very conscious of the physical laws. You're all sitting in your chairs instead of floating in the room because there's a law of gravity and it, it, it's the attraction of masses. And, and thus, we know that the law of gravity exists. Now, just why masses attract, we may not know. I don't know why there is uh, a, a, a attraction of masses and a pull of masses according to the size of the mass. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 1 Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Chronicles 21-22 through 22 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you and watch over you. May you be strengthened by His Spirit in your inner man. And may you, through the understanding of the Spirit, begin to comprehend how much He really loves you. The full depth of God's love for you. May He watch over you and may you find your strength and your help in Him. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.